We're live. Okay, so, okay, so uh, this is the uh, backstage with uh, Cab Business here that um, we were going to do for you guys uh, on another time because we were having this sort of really interesting conversation, and I went live, and Nathan didn't know that I went live. <laughs> um, but, you know, this is a subject that came up because of uh, a conversation between me and one of our friends, by the way, you can see uh, the money's here. We're going to intro everyone properly. Once the show starts, you can see Dave Smethers just uh, below me there in the uh, right-hand corner. And of course, Debs, but Nathan, do you have any reticence to connect with the phenomenon? If with a given modality, um, I, I don't, um, hi Jules, but, but I'm not, uh, I certainly don't, you know, pretend to be skilled at that or have had particularly successful experience with it. I've had a minor experience with it that was, I would call positive, but nothing in terms of a C5 seeing something in the sky, something like that. But in terms of like setting intention and kind of getting a response to setting intention, I've definitely had something like that. Deb? Any reticence about you know, I try, making I try that to do... Yeah, I've, I've tried to do C5 by myself a couple times, and one time I had a fun little orb sighting, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cute, and it, it like just kind of did like a peekaboo, and then I made a right turn and went off. Um, <laughs> so I was like, oh, that was cute, and I felt like it was a hello, but the next time I did it, when I did it, I just felt extremely drained, like I was zapped. So I just think, you know, those kinds of things you should probably do with other people. Um, but maybe I, rem I remember your your one of your feelings, Deb, was that you said that you're worried about who are you calling out to. Right, exactly. And honestly, sometimes I even think that when we do these, we might be annoying them. They're like, you know, mm. like, why do you keep calling us? <laughs> like, we're busy. We're surveying your planet. <laughs> <laughs> So, Dave, with we got about three minutes till the show starts, maybe less. Are you reticent to to try to well, connect I, with the on a conscious? I thought we were live then, DJ. Jesus, I was being very careful. Yeah. Uh, well, we yeah, we are live. I, I, we are I, live, I, but we're backstage. I, no, right, I'm with you. I I, <laughs> yeah. I I I'm a bit reticent. I think it's the old Ouija board scenario. You've got to if you don't know what you're messing with. You should be careful. I mean, I don't know. I'm not. I've thought about it, but I've not come to a conclusion as we often do in life. Uh, and I think uh, I, I am a little bit reticent. But uh, see, I don't believe it's all love and light. But equally, I don't believe it's all terrible either. You know. I, so I'm like, that's my dilemma. But I think my Claudette Patanum is uh, probably the size of a pea because I've never really experienced anything. So I suspect it won't really come up. <laughs> I think I'm destined I, I to be. It might be good if mine controls the game. I might be the only one left standing, but apart from that, I don't think I'll see much. I think yours is the size of an avocado. But, anyway. <laughs> 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 but I mean, Frank, uh, I think Frank, uh, he has quite a few, well, he's had quite a few experiences, I think. Oh, uh, has he? Yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't, uh, I would ask him about that first privately. <laughs> but but uh, nothing UFO wise, more more like synchronicity stuff like that. So I think he's got a real. Well, the police sense. have that. I'm just kidding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right, so uh, this is backstage with Cab. Uh, probably not the most compelling banter we ever, but I just, <laughs> I, you know, because I had this discussion with Mick a, a little while ago, I thought, man, I, let me see what these, these guys think about connecting. Because I've heard Deb say a long time ago, one of her concerns about CE5. And then, but then if you talk to James, you know, but James, maybe James has a really good filter and a really good shield, you know, so not everybody has that. Um, and then we could get into, cause Nathan might also think that when people have a sort of a, a spirit inhabit them, that's not the friendliest or with the best intent, it could be through something that's the same, but using a different name. So you know, religion yeah. might call it one thing. And by the way, nobody let me forget specifically Dave, because after Dave's done, uh, we have a question from Dan Warren, Dave's brother. So nice. we got to get to that. So, uh, well, I'm going to see you five too. If folks have done it in the chat and want to share their experience, please uh, yeah. drop yes. feelings about it there. I, I've got a couple, two questions. Uh, one that's a short one and one's a longer one. And we'll just see well, how we go. You're I gonna, don't want to tell all the time, though, yeah? So just what were you thinking? Yeah, we're going to have to do that during the show because we're about to start. So oh, cool. Sorry. I'll sort yeah, we're, we've got like 30 time. minutes earmarked for you, Dave. So All right, good. Well, that's um, good. Then, yeah. Okay. Is that good? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I yield my time to the senator from Manchester. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Nathan. I want to say um, happy birthday to Julie real quick. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah, yeah. She's all right as well, yeah. Happy birthday, Jules, yeah, Duncan, birthday. Av, everybody, bienvenidos, welcome. We about to get into it. All right, stand by, folks. Welcome back to Calling All Beings on a very special episode because we celebrate my brother, Money Nathan. <laughs> it's going to be all Nathan all night. So I'm your host, DJ. <clears> throat <laughs> bothering me again, but not enough not to be here. That's all that matters. Nothing like what made me have to postpone the show the other night. We're very excited. We got a special guest in the room from the UK, Manchester's own we're about to get to him, but before that, the man of the hour, Monet, Nathan, my artist brother. How you doing? I'm good, man. I, I've been looking forward to this all day. Uh, I have no idea what to expect. No one has given me these questions in advance. I have, I mean, these people haven't. I've seen a couple that have been sent my way on X, but other than that, it's just a free-for-all, and I'm a little bit worried about it, but it's going to be fun. We're having a good time. He's going to do, this is like what Dr. Pasolka is to deal with every week. Is she's got to sit there, get in that hot seat, right? And everyone's like, she's a PhD. She's going to give me a brilliant answer. That is pressure, baby. A lot of pressure. pressure. Right? Well, she's but a pro. Though. It, huh? She She's a pro, though. She She's very she's a good. Pro. Yeah. She's a pro. But I'll, I'll tell you what. She is a pro, man. We love Dr. Pasulka. Hopefully, she's going to be joining us as a guest co-host on the upcoming episode with Mike Masters. We're trying to see if we can get these stars literally and figuratively to align 
uh, with their schedules, as Dave might say, you know, because he's posh. Um, <laughs> schedules, so, there, boy. Schedules. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to see if we can get that, and and perhaps uh, Dr. Pasoko will join us for uh, Dr. Mike Masters coming up in uh, February. Sydney, yeah, first week February, yeah. Um, and so now here is I'll tell you what. This young lady right here, our paragon of cab virtue, um, said, okay, best question of the night gets a can of DJ skincare formula. Game on. So <laughs> she's ready. I like, did it up and everything. You can't you can't see it, guys, uh, but yeah, she's ready. Much... Yeah, first question. Where is the background with a big hot seat for Nathan? That's what we need right Ooh. now. <laughs> Look at that. And I want to see the eyebrow. Get that. Where's do you have the pipe? I do have the and, pipe. Yeah. Um, quite good to see there the you go. I, I need a throne right. with uh, flames. Throne with flames. <laughs> All right. Real quick. Um, I want to say hello. Uh, Duncan's here. Julie, happy birthday. Jonathan, welcome back. Anon in the building. And um, so, and uh, now we want to talk about our special guest host before we do our promo for a Vinny show uh this man is a um man nathan he is a brilliant mind um in contextualizing in thinking of storylines in cutting through some of the the bs and the chaff that's thrown out there in terms of what's happening in the news with the phenomenon with legislation he he gives no quarter. Let me tell you that. Okay, he gives no quarter. He is uh, the great one, Dave Smethers from Manchester. Oh, oh, thanks for that, DJ. You've made me feel a bit embarrassed. There, you haven't heard me questions yet, mate. You don't know. I might be. I might disappoint you, uh, Dave. You're my closest. Never disappoint. You're, you're the only connection between me and the Beatles, and um, <laughs> <laughs> you're the oh, my miles. only connection. I'm 30 what? miles down the road, but uh, I suppose to you, yeah, we all sound the same, really, I suppose. That's not meant to be bad. No, it's not a ga Game of Thrones moment because we sound a bit... No, it's, you just you, you sound like the Fab Four to me. I don't, yeah, I don't know. That's right. No, that's anyway, should we, uh, we, before, before we get into two questions, brothers and sisters, want to throw this up for our brother Vinny from Disclosure mm -hmm. Team. Um, you guys have heard him. You guys have seen him. He has... Uh, an enormous presence, uh, literally internationally, Vinny does. Um, I, you know, I got to check the numbers, but uh, thousands and thousands of subscribers on both Instagram and on uh, YouTube. Uh, and and um, his uh, podcast is actually available through his Patreon. So you can see, look for Disclosure Team on Patreon. There he is on X, um, at Disclosure Team underscore. And on uh, IG, it is at Disclosure underscore Team. Vinny Adams, take it away, Vinny, real quick. Let's get a comment from you, Debs, and uh, even my man, uh, Dave Smethers. I'm just always excited to see what uh, Vinny's got going on. He's always got some interesting people coming to chat with him. Um, all the greatest hits in the UFO community, come, they come and talk to Vinny. So definitely uh, take a look at that if you haven't yet. Good stuff. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a, he, Oh, sorry, I'll... Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead, brother. Well, well, he's definitely a steady ship in a sea of uh, sort of uh, uncalmed waters, isn't he? He gets a lot of good guests. He's pretty consistent. He's uh, He tries not to commit himself uh, 
So, you know, which is quite interesting, really. So, I mean, I commit myself a bit more than him, I think. But uh, it's, it's quite, uh, I think the show he's doing, he's done some really outstanding work this year. And he's clearly making the right connections and, you know, representing us well in the sector, I think, really, in the community, I should say. Big part of us at work, is. member sector. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. He's, he's bringing a lot of news, Nathan. Like, he's got a lot of great connections. So, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's got great hair and greater questions. Uh, that's so, true. Great hair. He I did. He looked look for the hair, but stay for the questions because they're me. <laughs> <laughs> he looked fantastic when I saw him in uh, in North Carolina. I got to say that out there, ladies. Uh, he is taken, but, you know, uh, he looked great anyway. Uh, Lisa, welcome. Um, so with that, uh, let's get started with the show. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to, uh, I, we talked about how thoughtful Dave's questions are. Uh, he's a friend of the show and want to give him an opportunity before he goes to bed to have uh, his first chance to have a nice little dialogue with Nathan. So Dave, take it away, please. No, I'm here for the duration, DJ. I'm sorry to tell you. Uh, oh, okay, I'm, going, mate, I'm right. not going to bed early, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I've been thinking recently, I've been listening, talking about uh, the phenomenon and its religious aspects and some of the tools that we get from what we need from the philosophy of religion and all the rest of it. So I've got a couple of things I wanted to talk about with Nathan in the form of questions and whatever, but... The first one, just to start off with an easy one, and you can stop me, DJ, any time if you think I'm asking too many questions as the referee. <laughs> I will. Don't worry. Uh, yeah, the, or Nathan can. Or Nathan can just tell me what he thinks. Of me. But anyway, uh, the first one is, and I'll just read this. It's Diana Pasolka said that in, in a religious studies, normally you don't question the experience, just study the effects of the belief. But she realized with UAP, uh, here was a belief in a phenomenon that could actually be observed happening in real time. So she had to jump from sort of impassionate observer uh, to studying it using her investigative and philosophical tools. So how useful do you think these tools are, Nathan, in this context? And how far can we take the conclusions? That's a great question, Dave. Um, I knew Dave would bring like a light one to start with, just a real... <laughs> Get you warmed up. Uh, no, that's a fantastic question, and and really, quite frankly, aligns with a lot of the things that I think about when I read her recent book, Encounters, because what you touched on there is the, I think, the kind of root of the issue. And you know, here we have in academia uh, an approach to studying anything that typically tries to remain. Uh, as neutral as possible, try to, it tries to treat the subject matter objectively as possible and, and limit the observers, the academics, subjectivity and subjective bias onto what is being studied. And as you point out, though, with this particular phenomena, the UFO phenomena, it's something that clearly intersects with our subjectivity. And, I, and, and if you think about it, I think we're, we're living in a time where we're a little bit more prepared to address that part of the the experience and and i say that because uh, part in part because of what what we're learning with with quantum physics where we have the role that the observer plays in in reality that there is this interplay between observer and observe that you really cannot disentangle the the two and i think we've you know, we we sort of danced around that a little bit in our academic studies of lots of things in the last few decades. We started to realize that we can't really separate our own selves from what we're studying. So if you read a lot of 
uh, folks who are doing like political analysis or historical analysis or literary analysis, they're they're much more upfront with the fact that they come from a certain contextual position when they're reviewing that material and they're going to interpret it from that particular lens. And I think we need to just be more open with that, more upfront with that. And be, and quite frankly, because we're <laughs> we like to think that we're not doing that, but we really have been doing it all along. So it's being a little bit more honest with our own participation in what we are studying. And so I think that that's good. I think that's more authentic. I think that's more genuinely human, that we recognize that we are part of what is being studied. I think it raises new challenges, though, because, you know, let me just introduce the, you know, the notion of, you know, what we what we have all heard of, and these are experiencer accounts, experiencer stories. So how do you kind of digest all of these different elements from these experiencers and, and come to some classical academic conclusions about them? You know, we typically want to be able to sort those experiences into buckets and then be able to come to objective conclusions. And I'm not so certain that we're going to be able to do that very well. It's going to be a lot more challenging than and, and, and more of a, a challenging exercise. And we have to be a little bit more fluid in what we're taking from that. Um, so a long-winded answer to your question, but you know, it's absolutely part of it. And we asked her this, you know, on, on our show too, and, and, and pointed out that you know, very much the same thing that you've kind of got to be a part of what it is that you're studying and our, our whole sort of thought process about anything that we're studying in our world today, I think is shifting more towards an acknowledgement that we are a part of what is being studied, that we, that this whole object subject paradigm isn't really genuine, doesn't really exist. Yeah, but a lot of the things Pasulka used, you're right, she, she used a lot of the tools to understand religious experiences with the saints and all the rest of it, but only sort of her academic tools could understand. And that was fine, I think, when they were in that safe sort of environment of not really just objectively dispassionately looking at it. But now she's got to apply those tools, which are deeply diluted in a lot of religious ideas and Greek philosophical ideas to sort of explain the phenomenon, which is both a benefit but it's also a risk in that you're potentially putting ideas around idealism and all the rest of it, Gnosticism, Hermeticism, all these things, onto the sort of phenomenon, you know, and, and that's the thing that I think is both a, a brilliant gift, but also potentially, not a curse, but a bit of a, you know, uh, to carry on the religious metaphor, but to, you know, to it's something... But we need to think about as well, how far do the existing tools we've got, which are imperfect, affect our understanding of phenomenon and maybe take us off base because of our philosophical developments as a society? Yeah, I and mean, I think that's something we do have to be careful of. I think this does sort of challenge our, our epistemological assumptions. What is it that we can know? How much can we know about Ooh. the phenomena? Uh, you know, this to me speaks to the fact that there's always a limitation of our knowledge. And that is frustrating because we like to think that there is no limitation, that if we can just find the right flashlight, we can illuminate the dark corners of what we don't understand. And it may very well be that, that there are aspects of reality that we really just will not be able to understand with any of the tools that we bring to bear on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, at least I like to think that, that that's probably the case. No matter how far advanced our learning may become, there are always going to be new frontiers in reality that we have not explored, are blind to, 
and 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 it makes our models imprecise. I mean, I think that's important too. We have to remember that we're working with models. We're not working with the territory itself. We're working with maps. We're always working with, with maps, not the actual landscape. And so if we keep that in mind and remember that that's kind of how we're moving through the world, it'll keep us a little bit more grounded. And I think learn to trust our actual experience, maybe more so than the map itself. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I just want to run through something about quantum physics because you mentioned that earlier. And I'll just take you through my sort of simplistic sort of taking it as it were uh, that's not to be merely mal but just as i take it because i think i've air up a couple of things so let's say that all matter is energy that vibrates at a certain rate and we know the higgs boson that god particle as you say makes it real that's i'm again i'm simplifying it i know we could argue about all of this and let's say that you've got non-local time where everything is happening and coexists at the same time but when we see quantum entanglement that suggests uh, that is suggested by that. Then you've got local time, which is where we are. The arrow of time is uh, being introduced. And so we've got cause and effect in three or four dimensions. So there might be other realities above ours, but, uh, but we can't really conceive of them. They exist. But I think the point that, uh, is that external reality sort of exists, but in different states, not just in our minds. And that's the point at which I think some of the religious thinking around idealism and God's mind and all that, maybe is it's not a problem, but it's an issue where we, the rubber starts to hit the road. So as we know, the double slit experiment provides awareness, uh, but consciousness has an influence on matter to some extent, and that the act of observation sort of gives something a reality. But we also know things sort of have continuity, they coexist outside of us, which would suggest there's some sort of consciousness that's external to us, but he's doing this observation that's so necessary. And that, you could argue, there's a shard of that in all of us. That could be the sort of God thing, you know. And so I, I just wonder, there's a link to a lot of the religious ideas, like you've got Gnosticism or Hermetic stuff, where God needs to create somebody so it can see itself, as it were. You've got Gnosticism, where we're in a material, imperfect, you know, representation. Then we've got Heigelu mixed the two up, and uh, he thought about progression through opposites. So you've got all these ideas, I think, uh, but we can see linking to these ideas of quantum physics. I'm going to shut up in a minute, but I just want to finish to, to my denouement, as it were. I was going to say, Nathan, you thought you had long preambles. You got nothing on Dave. <laughs> this is good, though. This is good context. So, Quite important, I'm though. kidding. I'm kidding because I love. Well, no, you're, you're, you're a good man, DJ, uh, <laughs> if a man who interrupts. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the so, show. It's, oh, you know. <laughs> when I listen to Douglas Hoffman, who seems to jump some of us perceiving reality differently, which I'm, I really am all for, but when he leaps in a way, to assumption that we're solely generated by consciousness, I can see this her sort of hermetic thing. And I think Diana Pasolka sometimes looks at the cave but sort of assumes there's a reality out there that is somehow spiritual. Uh, now, I know I'm simplifying here, but I think what Hoffman and the others are saying is like a totally consciousness-generated reality. It's not real. And it's, in fact, I, I think it's just different versions 
of objective reality in different states. Do you see what I mean? So that quantum thing I described, mm -hmm. the 3D, the 4D, the 5D, that still exists objectively, which has been the big problem in philosophy. Now, the point I'm coming to is that if the others or the phenomenon know this and they know how to manipulate, if we could see, we might see them as gods or part of God's will or kind of a super reality, rather than sort of objectively real beings who just understand the relationship of consciousness to states of matter. And so that's where, if you can see, so we're thinking, my God, this is something we recognize in our philosophy that's over our reality, that's part of God or part of whatever that universal consciousness is. But in fact, it may be beings who just understand that consciousness is like a force, like gravity. It's part isn't creating reality, but it's part of it. And they're just manipulating it. And that could have us very, and that's where I think a philosophical sort of religious idealist view could take us away from what it is. I don't really think I'm just that's where I got to thinking about it. And that was what I wanted to not ask you, Nathan, but see what you thought about that and pick it apart as you wish. Sure. Um, so, I mean, Dave, Dave knows, and maybe some people know who are watching the show, I do take a more idealist yeah. approach to the phenomena. Uh, and so he's kind of asking to some degree whether or not that commitment to idealism is going to be in conflict with something that we may overlook. Yeah. And Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, if we That's overcome to idealism that we're we're kind of leaving something out of the of the equation and and i think that's a, a healthy concern i think we have to be willing to leave space for an element of whatever this is that, that as, I, as i said before is outside of the model that we think is most effective most operative the the, the challenge with that i have with materialism is that there's nothing that i can experience in my own reality that is taking place outside of my conscious awareness. Right. So, so we, we can all kind of agree, uh, and this is essentially what we've done in classical materialism, we've, we, we, we have agreed that there is this thing called objective reality that exists outside of our own conscious experience of it, but there's really no firsthand way to, 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 to prove that. And so we're in that kind of dilemma. So, but I think that it's okay. I think it's okay to have a little bit of respect and space for that because it very well may be that idealism is more or less a bridge to some other overarching model that, that kind of incorporates all of these aspects better than it does on its own. And, and I tend to, if you think, if you look at history, for example, in terms of movements, right, we typically have, uh, you know, kind of pendulum swings and movements of, of thinking about the real world, thinking about reality. I think idealism is sort of swinging, is, is, the, is the other swing from materialism. And I think that it's, it's a necessary course correction to what materialism has sort of, uh, you know, brought for us. But I don't think it's the end either. I think that it's really just a part of that movement of, of thought, of ideas, of philosophy, and that, that's going to continue to change as we go. And to your point about the others and maybe their ability to manipulate or intersect uh, with, a, with our reality in ways that, that acknowledge the existence of something outside of just our conscious awareness, I mean, absolutely, it's certainly possible. Um, until we know more, it's hard to say otherwise. Um, I just think that from where I sit right now, 
the idealist model is the model that best explains most all of the phenomena that that I have observed from all of the stories that I have heard. Uh, it has the greatest explanatory power, in other words. Uh, but I certainly don't don't think it's the end all be all. I think there will be other models that eventually take its place. No, I think I think that's, that's really interesting. I mean, for me, I think consciousness or the impact of consciousness in quantum physics is the big game changer. Because before that, you could argue essentially materialist reality and it was all cause and effect and all the rest of it. And you had continuity and things existed and we all recognized them. But once you've got consciousness having that impact, and that's very similar to these ancient models of a sort of God and of was having shards of existence within ourselves. And it's very, very, very similar. And so I think that was a big change. It's certainly a change in my thinking, as I said to you privately a few months ago. But, but my big issue is when I when we get to, and I think Hoffman's brilliant, by the way, so don't get me wrong, I think it's fantastic, and Diana Pasolka as well. But when you get to some bits of when it's under, so it just all gets very hazy, like it's a dream, you can't quite get to it, you know what, what it is. But yeah, so I think, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's quite important. But I think the key thing for me is that reality does exist in some way, but not quite in the, so it, so. Consciousness is maybe part of it, as I said, like a gravity or something, or not, you know, a force. Right. But it isn't created in of itself, and it's just in our minds. And it, and it's whether that's for me where I am now. So I agree, idealism offers a good model, i.e., we're not perceiving reality. But it's whether the quantum model shows us something else, and in that is where the phenomenon operates. I think that's what. I think. Yeah, I do, I do like that. And I want to come back to that if we have time. Yeah, yep. There's something in that I want to kind of extrapolate further, but we got, I know we got other questions. So, yeah, yeah. So that was good. That, yeah. And, and it, it I just want to add to this. I, I find that when you try to pigeonhole the phenomenon in one area, you know, famously, we had Grant Cameron on the show and he said, it's all consciousness. It's all consciousness. It's nothing yeah. but consciousness. Well, there was a craft that hovered over Bob. Uh, Salas's missile silo and shut the missiles down. So there is, it, there's a lot of things at play here that isn't just one thing or just in somebody's consciousness because something physically acted upon a mechanical, electromechanical system, just like as it did with the tic tac and so forth. So there is a consciousness element, but that's not all there is, you know. So yeah. I hate Absolutely. to pigeonhole but all no, that but said, i think that's right i mean listening to nathan time i'll shut up in a minute but when listening to nathan talk and other people that's what enables us to advance on this topic because it's very difficult and diana and uh, uh, hoffman bringing out these tools and listening to nathan talk as i have done over time and exon all the rest of it, it's really good to develop to hone that so i think it's a really good discussion to have and i don't really know myself no, but I, I know i've developed my thinking <laughs> yeah. yeah i agree with whole, you DJ. Yeah, it's a holistic approach. There's so many things to consider. You know, uh, Exo's also, he's kind of in the same camp as, as I am. He, he likes to say, it's not this or that, it's this and that. There's there's kind and benevolent uh, intelligences, ones that are indifferent, ones that are malevolent. And that's what sort of makes sense in our model of human reality. Um, all right, so we have a lot of questions to get to here, plus Deb. Uh, I want to go through the chat a little bit because people have been thoughtful to do that. Then we'll get to Deb and then we'll get to Dan, Dan's questions. Dan, if you're watching and you're cooking, I hope it tastes good, whatever it is. Um, 
All right. <laughs> Your brother, Dan. All right. So I think we're right about here. Uh, let's see. Calling all beings. I think people's cognitive states are like, a. oh, I guess I should put this up on the screen, right, Nathan? That would make it easier. Are like a preloaded program running throughout their mind when NHI entity projects into that person's mind they see it through that lens you yeah. know what that's deep man that's, good. that's a good one so the way i think about that question is that we sort of have habits of thought right so um our personalities have a in some ways a predisposition towards habitual ways of thinking about the world and if you know if, if you've if you met anyone with a different personality than your own, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, why are they like this? You know that they're just they're stuck in this kind of whirlpool of looking at the world in a certain way. And you think to yourself, why can't they they just take a different perspective? And that's because it's a it there's a force of 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 habit there, and we all know that habits. If you create a good habit, it can it can have a force of its own. It can be a force amplifier to what you do. So in the same way, I think uh, personalities and, and ways of thinking are kind of habitual, to, you know, to use their their phrase, kind of preloaded programs running within your own mind. These are ways of thinking that we are predisposed to. So in terms of how the others or NHI or whatever may intersect with those habits of thinking, you know, I do believe that because we are all connected at a fundamental level, at a sort of root level of consciousness, that that just like uh, a whirlpool on the surface of, the, of water is a habituation of that water, you know, you're looking at the whirlpool, it's doing its swirling thing, we call it a whirlpool, but it's the same water as the water that's downstream that's just flowing over rocks, right? So if if our habituated way of thinking is one whirlpool, and if an NHI is another sort of habituated way of being, is another whirlpool, and if these two things intersect, if they kind of cross paths, what, what you'll see happen is a new sort of state of the water emerge. You're, you'll see some overlapping, you'll see some amplification of some of the, those waves, you'll see some diminishing of some of the, those waves. The two whirlpools, because they are, again, strongly habituated, will still remain as what, what they are, but they are changed by that intersection. And so we often talk about how the NHI is affecting us, but I also wonder how we are affecting them. Uh, you know, and that's that's a part of this whole phenomenon that we really kind of don't know anything about. But any relationship that that you've ever had, you know that in a relationship, that whole exchange means that you each are are changing in that in that development in that in the interchange of of experience. And so I think, while yes, their ways of thinking, their habituated way of being, it can can have a very strong effect on our expression of our consciousness also our consciousness affects how they are and so you know maybe they do impart some of their way of looking at things onto our own way of seeing maybe they interrupt our way of seeing in such a way that it is uh, we would call it control but it's really just an intersection of of their sort of uh, mentation along with ours uh, but I, again, I'm just immensely curious, like, what are we doing yeah. to them and what will happen as if this continues to sort of unfold 
and reality as we know it continues to change and these others become more involved in the world in a more overt way you know how will they be changed in the interchange of that of that relationship i'm very curious about that that is a fascinating question yeah. because that could in turn have a second order effects on us again so um all right so uh, J- first of all uh is that jason franklin thank you so much love you too thank you for coming and joining us um we're always always happy to meet uh, new folks great show people okay this is no question people demand an ask deb episode deb are you next <laughs> up in the seat <laughs> yes, yes i could do that i could talk about okay. the research okay so the next the next uh, one of these that we do will be ask deb um i actually asked you know some of my fans would you like to and asked tj i said no thank you that is the thought anybody would say i'm kidding i'm kidding (laughs) nobody nobody needs to be that bored for an hour and a half um all right so let's see uh lisa bowden hello lisa hey Vinny. what's going on Vinny? so i I don't know if that means Vinny. Vinny just signaled me so i don't know that means if he saw his intro uh here we go lisa thank you have you ever heard of a gift or sign being left from an et or a spiritual being it happened to oh this is almost like a bigfoot thing so uh some this actually nathan and then deb could take this one right absolutely uh i yeah. have not experienced something to that effect um at least nothing that i thought you know where did this come from it was left from some other you know being that you know wasn't human or whatever or like in a port or something like that i've, I've not had that experience so I, you know, I, I think it'd be incredibly cool, uh, maybe even a little bit terrifying. But yeah, I, I haven't personally experienced that. I would, I would wonder though if Deb has. I'm sure she's had some pretty neat experiences. I have, although the one that I'm thinking of, I probably won't talk about. But I will say that this is <laughs> this is something that has happened. And the first thing that came to mind was the alien pancakes. I mean, like, yes. what, what better gift is there than them actually mm. making you breakfast, right? Like, that's a <laughs> an older story. But, like, you know, the, the, some people say that the gift that they get is the increased um, psi abilities that come after the encounter. Um, you know, the increased premonitions and so on. But there have been, like, experiences that people have had with material items. And I think... When you hear about what happened with um, those coins and the apparition that happened when we talked to the paranormal um, rangers, um, that kind of sounded like a gift. Like, why else would it be coins? You know, if if it wasn't a gift, it could be something that no one would want, but Mm. it was money. So that occurred to me. Deb, that's a great. uh, So coin exchange. Check out uh, Stan Milbrook. The paranormal ranger, he may exchange coins with you if you're a numismatic type of person. Maybe he's got something that you'd like to trade. Um, all right. So, um, yeah, Lisa, tell us uh, either in the chat or via DM what was the gift and the situation that you experienced, um, either if it's appropriate here or you could DM myself or one of us. Uh, I would love to hear about how the gifting unfolded what it was and and all that and if there was some sort of an exchange between you and and that intelligence um all right let's go you want to go with dan warren's question now or or deb do you want to go now and then we do dan yeah i could could do one of mine 
Um, okay, so yeah, please. <sighs> the one that I really want to know the most, <laughs> and I've decided to prioritize, <laughs> is not a big philosophical question. It's because you had recently mentioned that you have had some of your own experiences now that you've been exploring. Um, I was wondering if you wanted to share anything about that. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so earlier this year, I I had an experience, kind of an altered state experience, something that I had not done before. And um, I was anxious about kind of going into that because I, I wasn't quite sure, you know, what I would experience with it. And, um, and I won't, I'm leaving out some details just because I, I, I don't want to share the whole story. Protecting but, um, you know, I did have a chance to, to kind of experience something very special uh, with a close friend of mine. And going into that experience, I, I tried to set some intention in advance. I tried to, to sort of say that no matter what happens in this experience that I don't know, it's kind of unknown for me, you know, it, it will be good. It will be a teaching moment. I will come out of it better than I went into it. And, you know, I had a lot of amazing sort of, uh, I don't know how best to describe it, but kind of um, insights, I would put it that way, during the experience about reality and about the world. Um, one particular insight that was profound for me was that and I've mentioned this on some other shows, but that it relates to knowledge and how we know things. And what felt real to me in that experience was that the way that we know things is more intuitive experiential than it is uh, sort of linear and taught. So we're, we're typically trained to think of learning as you know, very tutelary, like I'm giving you this information and you're processing the information and you're coming to a conclusion and then you're learning the material. Whereas in this experience, for me, it was clearer to me that that learning, that knowledge was actually almost like a field uh, around us at all times. It was um, something akin to what you read about or hear about when people talk about their out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences, that when they have these experiences, they can think about something and they instantly know it. So it felt that way to me as well that 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 information was almost like a like like the air around me, and that if I wanted to know something, I could just sort of tap into that, and it would be made present to me. So that that was something that was very impactful. But the other thing that was really a big deal for me in that experience that that really kind of surprised me quite a bit was while I was going through that experience, I had this. Um, thought kind of arise in my mind about my graduate school. And this is not something I think about pretty much at all. Uh, I've been out of grad school now for almost 20 years. So I don't think about them. I don't, I don't, I'm not an alumni that like, you know, gives money to the school. I don't really interact with a lot of my former classmates. Uh, so it's not something that's top of mind. For whatever reason, in this experience, I thought to myself, you know, I wonder what's going on with my with my graduate school. And I think it would be interesting to go back there and just, I don't know, check in on it. And for those who don't know, I went to um, seminary for a graduate degree. So, you know, this is a religious institution where they're talking about theology and talking about, you know, God and all this kind of stuff all the time. So I was like, you know, it'd be interesting to go back there now with the kind of experiences that I have and, and what would that be like? So when I, when I kind of come out of the experience and, and I'm like coming back to normal reality and I look, I take a look at my phone 
like anybody would, you know, I'm just like checking up on my notifications and I look at my email inbox. And by the way, I'm one of these email people that's like, you know, there's no unread email in my inbox. Like I know what's in my inbox. I'm constantly clearing stuff out. I, I The things that aren't unread are things that I have to do. So that's like a very small list of things that, that are unread. So I'm looking at my email. The very first email that pops up is from my graduate school. And it's like, <laughs> we want to check in with you. I know a class of so-and-so. We're curious, like what's going on with with you we want you to respond to this survey we just want to hear what, what you're doing and you know what's happening in your life and i was like well i'm going to fill out the, the survey so i did and i haven't heard back from them but the connection there between that sort of precognitive uh you know I, which i i believe it really was precognitive experience and the email itself happening like was incredibly profound and and in some ways like dovetails with what I said before about knowledge and information that if if reality and consciousness is not really local and if time is not necessarily linear then we can tap into information as a field around us and and learn things about reality even if we aren't necessarily right next to it and so I feel like that's validated from a lot of other experiences that we hear about and with the phenomena, which we could go into. But yeah, that, that was a big moment for me. Wow. Can I try yeah, on that? Yeah, please. <laughs> that was a banger, man. Great question. Right. I just have to say, I truly appreciate that you mentioned that because I was saying to someone that sometimes when I'm like listening to people speak another language i get this feeling that i should know it you know that there that i'm like one really close veil between knowing it and not knowing it and mm -hmm. it's sometimes there's other moments in my life where there's just information i just feel like i already knew and i was reading about something i already knew and it was it's a strange feeling so i'm mm -hmm. i've also heard about that in ndes like that knowing is just something that like all things are already known We've heard about the Akashic records, all things are in a library, and it's just a matter of accessing the information. So yeah. it's great that you had that experience. Yeah, I mean, it also links to that idea of that non-local time again, as you mentioned, Nathan, this idea that everything exists at a sub-level, that's what's ever happened, it's all there coexisting, and that's how you know remote viewing works, that's how we get these these precognition things or these synchronous and the interesting yeah it's very i think it's really interesting that to come at it from that and also the idea of ideas we develop them socially as well and that was interesting what you're saying about the you know, others earlier and if our thinking intersects with them how would that create ripples in that so you know that experience as well and we start to connect with them anyway i think that's a really it's, it's fascinating how it links in with that Great, Deb. You so um, whoever does have the best question size voted by Nathan will win a can of DJ skincare formula. Uh, I think Dave is probably using it to lube the tracks on his garage door and at the house. But uh, but but <laughs> how did you but know anyway. the garage door's not there? <laughs> <laughs> or the car door? All right. Um, let's get to Dan Warren's question. Um, Money, Nathan. Sure. And then we can move on. And then my I might even get a question in here. Please, yeah. All right. Um, let's see. I just put it up on my my notepad here. Okay. Okay. The question is, pardon me. Uh, I might even have to get me glasses, mate. 
<laughs> okay. Um, what verse or event in the Bible does Nathan think is attributable to the phenomenon, but was interpreted as an act of God? Oh, wow. <laughs> Dan. Look at Dan Money. Dan your brother. You. Your um, brother, Dave. So I'm going to disappoint you a little bit, but I'm also going to try to answer the question. So I don't have a specific verse that I can, you know, pull out to provide an answer to this question. I do want to talk a little bit about the commonly used one that you'll hear thrown around in the community, and that's about Ezekiel and Ezekiel's wheel and how that's clearly a UFO in the Bible, right? It's also the bread in Whole Foods. It, they right. have that whole line of Ezekiel very bread. Yeah, yeah, very, very hearty and healthy. Um, yeah. So, and, you know, interestingly enough, too, on the subject of the Bible, I just recorded a podcast with our good friend Matt Knapp of Bigfoot Crossroads, um, where he was asking me questions about the Nephilim. And the Nephilim come up sometimes in conversation about the phenomena that come up in conversation about Bigfoot. So Matt will release that episode. And we, we talk a lot about uh, biblical perspective uh, on that idea. So I, I say all that to say that, that the Bible is really familiar to us, even though we don't realize it. So the world that we live in today is heavily, heavily influenced by Christendom. And by these ideas that are rooted in in the Bible, um, most of us couldn't quote a passage, or if we were to try, we would kind of bumble one really poorly. Uh, or some might, sometimes we might quote something and be like, "That's from the Bible," and it's actually William Shakespeare or something like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so we have this, or Dave Smethers, exactly, one or the other. Maybe Dave Smethers. So we have this sense in which there's profound things come out of this text, and. And as we learn profound things about our world, there is an, a, a, a connection point to the Bible directly. So, you know, we're always, I mean, look, when I was growing up, it was all about the book of Re Revelation. And it was like, what does the book of Revelation mean? What are the things in modern day reality that we can look at and find in the book of Revelation? People would talk about helicopters being in the book of Revelation and tanks being in the book of, you know, all these different perspectives. And that's because we want there to be this through line between that profound material that 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 influenced so much of our culture and what we're experiencing in, in our current time. And if we can make a link between those two things, there's a kind of uh, like degree of control and power that we are essentially like calling forth like magic by being able to do that. That there's a, we're creating our own like meta narrative by stringing these things together and that gives us a degree of of control and mastery over a very confusing experience with that we call the waking life right the, the world around us so it's a very long you know kind of back story there to answering dan's question but the one thing that i have been thinking a lot about to be honest with you um, about the bible is this phrase that you'll see come up from time to time where God is referenced as, uh, you know, I am, you know, that the, the I am that I am. This is, it's very like enigmatic way of talking about the, the divine. And I'm thinking of, to myself, if I, if I'm saying that, if I'm saying that I am that I am, I am that I am. We typically like when we're looking at it on the page and in the Bible, we're thinking that's God saying this, right? But I'm reading it. I, me, 
I am yeah. saying it, I, me. What does it mean for me to say it? You know, do, and I think for me, it means there is, coming back to things Dave was touching on, there's this element of the divine in all of us that that seeing I am in the text, you know, being one with this material, being one with these concepts, and I don't just mean Christianity, but I mean that, you know, the, these deeper movements of the human conscious experience throughout history that we have recorded in our in our religious texts, in our literature, in our art, I mean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I am that I am. You know, I am experiencing this as, as if I were that. There is no separation. So that that's what I think about with the phenomena in the Bible. That's what I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, I'll have to get back to Dan on a very specific one, but hopefully I addressed a little bit of his question there. And it's an interesting time for you to take this question, Nathan, as you rediscover part of yourself that you had put away for, for a while. Um, and now you're seeing that it's another way for you not only to connect with the phenomenon, but maybe an understanding the phenomenon and another prism with which to see the phenomenon, but also a way for you to connect with people to also maybe open their mind about the phenomenon. So it's an interesting time for that question. Yeah. It's interesting, yeah. the idea of synchronicity uh, is one Back of those the things. Uh, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> one of those things. But, uh, but, you know, all the examples I was talking about and all the rest of it about what is reality-wise, and that synchronicity one is very hard to place and to explain what it means in the context of everything I was saying. Very, very difficult. And as Gary Nolan says, often it's those ones, those sort of questions that maybe give you the in. And I was just thinking then as you were talking about that synchronicity there that Nathan talked about and a few others, that maybe that is a quite an exceptional thing. Or not what Nathan was saying, but the general idea of synchronicity and, and that it's real is it, I think maybe a very interesting special case that's worth looking at to maybe think about it. And I really love that biblical thing you were saying, Nathan. I, I really got what you meant there. Anyway. No, that's right. And and for a conver good conversation on that synchronicity topic that I think is really profound is, is the conversation that Darren had with Bernardo Castrop on Point of Convergence. So that, mm. that interview, they, they talk about synchronicity and the role that it plays in reality. And if you haven't listened to it, go check it out because it's really, really great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I would kind of like, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is crap tonight. <clears throat> uh, but um, if you think about that James Madden conversation with Diana Pasolka, which is brilliant on um, UFO rabbit hole, this is akin to that discussion. Um, because Darren, as great a speaker as Darren is, one of the things that is very underrated that people don't talk about is what an active listener he is. He is as good a listener as he is a speaker because were he not, he wouldn't have really gotten the concepts that Bernardo Castro was laying down. So I recommend you guys go to uh, to that show. It's a uh, point of convergence. Uh, the one, one I think maybe the only episode Darren's ever done on there and, and listen to that. Um, he's also Nathan's uh, co-host on Liminal Frames. Um, a show that has had a slow burn that's a damn inferno at this point. 
Um, so yeah. Um, Nathan, so guess what? I get to ask a question now. Love it. Bring it. Um, so as you know, Nathan, there's so many different ways to look at the phenomenon and how it's affecting, um, humanity spread across the globe. And I found, um, you know, I have these other questions for you, but I, I wanted to hit this one up because it was topical on my mind with regard to the David Polites phenomenon. Obviously you watched that. Um, what, what's the name of that Debs, that movie with, um, David Polites, the UFO connection, I believe. Is that right? Missing four one. The reason one. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, David. Um, yes. So Nathan, there's some of these things that are super inexplicable in terms of people. Well, the young boy from Oregon, which was was pre that movie, it was in the miss the missing four one one without a, a, a tagline on it where that three-year-old boy was nine miles away from his house in winter. They got less Stroud to make that trek during the daytime. And I can't remember how many hours it took him, and he felt that um, he would have not been able to make that at night uh, the way that the little boy did. And then they found him face down in the ice, and he was alive. Nathan, um, do, do you, what is your interpretation of these events um, and if you can conjure some sort of an explanation that you think would explain these circumstances and we'll, we could go into a couple of them, but I'd like to just get your initial take on that. Yeah. I think I'm going to steal a word from the chat. Duncan says that some of those Pilates episodes are staggering. And I think that he's right on. They kind of take your breath away when you hear some of these accounts, particularly what you described, covering all that distance and uh, how it is difficult for an experienced person like Les Stroud to do that. Uh, there are a lot of stories in human history about people getting lost and, and then being found, both literally and metaphorically, right? Coming back to some Christian stuff I just talked about. Uh, but there's a lot of conversation in, in fairy literature, for example, people disappearing into kind of fairyland and then coming back and like all this time has been, has passed and they don't think any time has passed. And so this is a part of the human experience and it's also falls into that fringe experience that we have a difficult time making sense of. Um, I honestly don't know what to think about it other than it is disturbing. It's disturbing how this can happen. It, it's one of those things that interrupts the feeling of safety that, that you have about the world, that that you know the world, that it is an ordered place. We are so used to the fact that we live in an ordered space. You know, I, we've created these buildings, we've created, you know, clothing, we've created vehicles and ways of moving through the world on roads and very, you know, like everything is very orchestrated. Manicured. and Yeah. We've done our very best to tame what is wild at its core. And every once in a while, the wild intersects with our life. And, and those are the moments that really sort of almost like uh, that first uh, sort of jolting break after a coma where you kind of come out of this and you're like, you know, what happened to me? Uh, 
you know, it's like that because it, it, it interrupts your, your feeling of normalcy. And I think that that's what these experiences, these missing experiences do. That's the effect that they have on people. Um, I really don't know what it's about. I, I, you know, we could certainly postulate some sinister forces there. We could postulate some, uh, you know, some phenomenological, you know, NHIs or whatever they may be. I just don't know. I don't have enough information. And I, I actually feel that sense of frustration from David Polites that he's done an excellent job of like compiling these events and stories and, and kind of collating them and saying, here are things that they share in common, but you can feel like this deep frustration within him that like, but what is causing it? You know, it, it remains very mysterious. It's frustrating. I think he's refusing to, I, I don't think that he wants to um, talk about what he thinks it is. I think he wants to leave it open and remain. And I think with good reason, I don't think you can pin it on one thing. And I also, to our audience out here, I don't want to appear as a guy who has a UFO show who says everything is a UFO or a person who has a, a Bigfoot show that everything is every noise in the woods is Bigfoot and every structure of trees falling is, is the result of Bigfoot. But what I do want to say after spending, I don't know, the last three or four days and I want to, well, there's two things I want to pimp. One thing I want to talk about real quickly before I finish the sentences, Nathan on a uh, Bigfoot crossroads, Matt Knapp is a member of uh, the cab family. He is a phenomenal interviewer. And when I heard that he was going to have Nathan on, I was even more excited than when I went on his show. So, cause I, I'm just fascinated to hear what they talk about. And as Nathan kind of thankfully has joined me in this Bigfoot quest for understanding about the Bigfoot and Sasquatch creature and the phenomenon that surrounds it, if whatever that may be. So Bigfoot crossroads, check that out. Um, secondly, so again, I, I, I don't want to be the guy that's crying wolf, but in listening to David for the past three days, and I would encourage you, and his YouTube, he gets into a lot of ancillary things. It's set up very differently than when you hear him on Coast to Coast. I would go, if you want the definitive Polite stories with George Norrie or George Knapp, ask him questions one after another after another and they'll break they'll discuss and then they'll do another case and another case another case go to the coast to coast on um on youtube and watch that you're going to get more of the cases um and then you can go and follow up with his books there are certain uh ways where you're out hiking and dave if you would you know i, I don't know if you hike in the uk but just kind of you know, let's say you have a line of six or, you know, five or six of your family members. Someone is tailing Charlie. It's not an adult, but you turn around, you see them, you know, you stop, you drink your canteens. And the next thing you know, you walk off from the area where you're having a drink and that person is gone and never found. And you can, and, and there's no sound and there's no scream. And then when we bring in the idea of the dogs coming out, you know, they bring out these these bloodhound type dogs that you put an article of clothing and they'll go for five miles if, if that person was walking or drug and the dogs will lay down and say, I don't I don't smell anything. You know, they lay down and it's very frustrating for the SAR personnel. 
and so when you put it together that there's no sound, they're not found. They can't, the dogs can't find him. The helicopters with the IR and the NVGs can't find any trace of them. You know, you have to think about um, uh, that, that the phenomenon took them. He also said something very interesting that I want to say to you guys that George Norrie asked him. And he asked him um, about why isn't happening in, in, I, I can't remember the exact question, but I remember Dave's answer, and it's more important than what the question is. The answer was there is intent here because if if it were a portal, because I think that's what George Norrie asked him, did do would these people just walk through a portal and then disappear? And he said no, because if it was a, it, I, he's not saying it's not a portal, but there's intent to, to get that person alone, even only if for a second, and they're gone. Whereas why doesn't the portal open in front of the four or five or, you know, someone from a church group, he talked about at Yosemite walking to a, a waterfall there that hundreds of people go every day. And the person who was last in that church group never seen again. So you think that whatever it is has an intent and it gets them alone and then takes them. And that's what makes me think about uh, the abduction phenomenon. And that's why uh, Yosemite doesn't release these statistics to his chagrin. And I think it's what the government doesn't want to talk about, Nathan. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly troubling, right? Um, and the, the number of missing people is is very, very high, uh, particularly in these national parks. And it's disturbing. Now, the national parks are huge, okay? So <laughs> let's remind folks that they're talking about a lot of wilderness here that is there are no roads, you know, there are no buildings, there are, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff out there, but agree, some of these circumstances are incredibly strange, um, baffling even the most skilled search and rescue personnel. And so, you know, I think beyond the mere, you know, oddity of it is the hole that it literally leaves in the lives of everyone who experience it because not only do you have a person that you've lost that you can't replace the person, but you don't even have an explanation. So it, it, it's like a double loss, you know, there, you, you just don't know. And it, it probably eats away at you, you know, for the rest of your life. Um, where are these people going? I don't know. And um, I don't know. I hope we do find out and I, I hope most of them are okay. I hope they don't just like get taken in our, you know, abused or they die alone or, you know, all those things that we would, you know, we would hate someone to experience. I think it's the, and, and we can go to, I, I, we're going to come to you, Dave and, and Debs on this as well. And Lisa, I think it's not talked about more because I think there may be a connection here to why there is a government cover up on this is because a lot of these that could be attributable to abduction, which would explain why, Somebody like Terry Loveless, who ended up becoming assistant U.S. attorney, says when I was aboard this craft, there were families and children and and so forth. I mean, that explains that kind of a thing. And and so that that could be an issue. Um, Dave, go ahead. I was going to say, I think, you know, I'm interested in the crypto terrestrial thing. I've quite a bit of work on it, but there is quite a lot of mileage in the profile in terms of where they allegedly live, you know, in isolated areas, the sort of tech they've got, cloaking tech, all that sort of stuff. And as Nathan said, historical things about taking uh, 
people generally, changelings, taking people away. And the theory, one of the theories is that it's to improve the sort of genetic stock we've got and all the rest of it without sounding too eugenic about it. But that, that, that is the scenario. So, so the, I think there is a lot of mileage in that. I think to Lisa's point, people, people, I think it's a bit like the abduction phenomenon, isn't it? It's very hard for us to control it and we don't want to talk about it. I think, I think the government doesn't want to freak people out. We may find at the end of this whole thing, but there's been a lot of things the government's been sitting and they just do not want to freak people out about, really. And I think the last thing I'd say, the lesson of Grushies, is when you get a good profile uh, of, of a witness and they tell you stuff, there's a good chance they're telling the truth, you know, because it's and we see it a lot. And I think, I know that's Grushies UAPs and all the rest of it, but I think it was a more general lesson about when you're hearing a lot of that, and I think that about the abduction stuff all the time, there's too many things that are being said, back to Palladies, there is a bit of a profile he's got on people with certain, I think, Germanic heris, uh, things and other yes. different types, different things. It's not all that, but it's different, which would imply there's some sort of method as well in terms of the people that are being selected, which would imply something genetic or it might be something different. I don't know. As I say, I'm not, I don't particularly be good. But anyway, that's, so I think it's a really interesting, but I think the, the fair factor, the authorities have probably, that wouldn't want to say because nobody would go anywhere. A bit like what you were saying, DJ, they shut down the national parks. Apart, I think that more profound than that, though, I know. I No, I think that's a thought, but I think it's, if, if they think that there's this abduction thing that people are literally plucked, uh, there's just no way you can explain it. I mean, some of these areas, some of those, Nathan, those abductions, I guess there's some, um, some valley where I guess you could see it from the ranger station in the lodge where people will trek and they'll, that's the sort of front part of the park. He said there, there've been hundreds of people disappear right from there. He talked about it. You really got to listen to some of it, but I'm going to have to step away from uh, the show for a second. Nathan, if you would uh, take over and I know you have some questions in our private chat that people have DM to you before we go back to Dave, because I know he's got something more and I'm sure Deb has as well. I'll be right back. Uh, to be honest, DJ, I've asked my, I've got a few ones, but I've, I've asked my main stuff. I think Debbie should should give us some of her stuff as well because I've, I've monopolized the time quite a lot. Actually, I did want to comment on this one. Um, so I had looked into mythology in Korea recently because you know I find there's patterns that we're missing because we don't look at other countries as often. For instance, all the countries in Africa have common characteristics with stories that we hear in Australia. Um, like not, you know, all the stories, but there's things like the rainbow serpent. And one of the ones that is something that we have seen is sort of like that Rip Van Winkle story. Um, there was a, an island uh, in Korea where there's um, a site that was part of a legend where fishermen would disappear, that they would go visit the gods, you know? So I, I find it interesting how often this idea of being disappeared and hopefully coming back becomes part of our stories. Just something to throw in there. Like if you look mm -hmm. at mythology, it'll come up over and over. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, look, human history, like it's almost a miracle that we're here, right? Um, <laughs> at all. So surviving the the brutal, you know, conditions of of the earth 
and and being able to to thrive and dominate the entire planet and have the culture and civilization that we've created. I mean, these are mind blowing things in and of themselves, and and all of the lives lost between that very first spark of consciousness in our lineage to where we are now. I mean, it, it leaves a hole, right? It, you know, it's a we we could talk about this psychologically. You know, it's it's left a psychological hole on us as a species. Um, not even just within our our specific species, but within our human family, right? There there are specific, there are human beings, other types of humans that don't exist anymore because we outpopulated them, you know, outnumbered them, and you know a lot of our I think lore and mythology hints at those other relatives, right? We've got some that are mentioned to be incredibly strong or, or, you know, taller than we are, or some that were, you know, very small. Uh, you know, I heard one story, once a story that, again, totally speculation, but, you know, Tolkien sort of took his entire Middle Earth world from some sort of text that he stumbled across in the basement of a library that hinted that, in in ancient Europe, like there were all these different kinds of people, like dwarves and hobbits and giants and things like that, and he he just sort of brought that into his own story. Um, I don't know, you know the truthfulness of it, but I do know that there's a big part of the human story that we don't know. And if you look at all of the histories, like the mythologies, the religious histories of humanity, they're all wrestling with this missing piece. They're all trying to fill in those gaps about what happened. And in many ways, we're still we're still dealing with the downstream effects of that ancient past that we don't understand. But there's like an imprint that it has left on us. And, and I think the phenomena is in some way actually related to it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very fascinating stuff. And uh, so in the chat, um, Heiser is asking... Uh, it's going on regardless. Why does them telling us have to do with anything? The reason is what they're what she's asking is because um, if this is going on, why? First of all, why won't they give Dave Pilates the numbers on how many people? He said far and away that Yosemite National Park, there are more people that have gone missing there than any other national park. And why won't they give him the statistics? Why are they playing hardball? Second of all, would be. If there's an issue, it's this, you could say the same with the government, with the UFO phenomenon. We could say the same with the Bigfoot phenomenon. Why is the government not sharing what it knows about us and giving people tips on what to do, what not to do, safety tips, um, all those sorts of things? So that's why that question is asked is why why isn't there more transparency? And it relates to several different phenomena. Nathan, what do we got in the chat for you from I think you got these from twitter yes i've got a few questions from andrew and uh i've got one question from jonathan milgi who's in the chat i know for sure so let me get hey, jonathan. from andrew because he, he posted quite a few i don't know if we'll get to all of them but his first question is um why hasn't ross coltart tracked down and interviewed tyler uh, d aka tim taylor from diana's <laughs> stories um well, I don't know. I, I'm not Ross Coulthard, and I don't have a very close relationship with him. So I, I would be just as curious as anyone, you know, what's going on there. And and we know Ross has sources that he has not revealed. So for all I know, Tim Taylor could even be one of Ross's sources. I, I really have no idea. 
Uh, would I love to see that interview? Absolutely. And would everybody in the community love to see that interview? You betcha. So why, why uh, would you want to see that interview if I can interject? Well, I mean, in part because Diana has created this uh, mythical person, you know, she's given him a pseudonym. He's like the central character in, in a couple of her you know, stories and, uh, you know, basically inflated the role that he's played in the secret keeping and the, you know, the history of the phenomena within the United States and the, particularly the space program. So, yeah, I mean, everyone's like, what, what does he know? And what, what are the secrets? And, you know, how can we pry more information out of him? I think that, that the community would be very interested in that. Do, um, do you know when you were talking about the cave with Diana Pasolka, Nathan? Yes. Uh, you made that thing about the jailers. Who are the jailers, Diana? You know, mm -hmm. and I think he's very much presented as potentially one of the jailers or somebody who knows more at any rate, who's betwixt and between the two. And that's what I find so fascinating about him. Uh, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of um, other conversation re related to that is this notion that there are, and she hints at this pretty strongly in her stories, there are these kind of elite secret keepers who have a, a, a picture of themselves that is at and above the rest of you know everybody else and even that hierarchy that she talks about in encounters i mean it's I'm, i can't even believe that was printed um that there's this way of looking at you know the rest of us as below you know the intelligence agencies and things like that so um you know it's troubling and i think a lot of people want to know who those people are why they think the way they think are there some literal truths to these uh ancient bloodlines that have been rumored, uh, you know, through, through, through history. Um, this gets very, very quickly into some murky water. Um, it's a hot potato. So I, I'm, I'm hesitant to kind of talk about <laughs> too much because, you know, you can start getting into some pretty scary territory there. Um, so I'm going to move on past that one. Um, mm -hmm. And to, to Andrew's next question, and then I want to take the one from Jonathan. So he's asking about what's up with the time traveler angle. I mean, time travel, um, for those of you who don't know, is the sort of angle proposed by Dr. Michael Masters, who we've had on our show, who we're having back on our show in, in the early part of next year. So super excited to have Mike back with us to talk about his uh, extra tempestrial model. And, and his, his experience. Yeah, and his experience, exactly. And this is one of those things that I think really will get your head, you know, spinning. Um, the fact that these beings, you know, particularly like the the greys that have been seen in experiences and encounters, you know, could very well be future us. Uh, I had a hard time with this theory, to be honest with you, initially, because I think I'm like a biased against time travel hypotheses just from growing up with all these sort of time travel shows and movies, and I always hated them because um, I thought they just sort of took a cheap exit. <laughs> um, so I had a hard time like getting along with that, but I'm coming around to it, particularly with if you're buying into this notion that time isn't linear, that space time isn't real, uh, you know, time travel could very well be a part of just manipulating reality. Like we can fly an airplane. Um, and once you can enter into a relationship with reality that involves inserting into time, all kinds of things become possible. So it's, um, it's very interesting. And in particular, too, I find that a lot of the uh, abduction experiences, the accounts of the beings taking things from people or coming back to visit people over and over again, 
Like it sounds like something humans would do. Like, oh crap, we messed up and we've got to go fix this. You know, oh, you know what? We tried to fix it, but we didn't do a good job fixing it. We've, we're going to have to try again to fix it. And we just sort of keep trying. Like, this is such a human thing, right? How many times where you dig that hole for yourself to try to dig your way out of a problem until you realize like you're just making it worse. And it just, it, it strikes me that like, that's, I don't know, pretty prevalent within a lot of these stories. So it could be this aspect of who we are, whether it's uh, literal time travelers or kind of related to our subconscious. I'm not quite sure, um, but I love it. I love that one. Um, let me get this question from Jonathan and then we'll, we'll just open it up to whatever's left. So, um, Jonathan, let me see if I can find it here. He asks, what's in store for 2024? Anything you're particularly looking forward to? Okay, that's a big one. All right, well, 2024. Kicking DJ off the show is one. Yeah, first order of business. <laughs> Boom. Um, <laughs> no, I think um, I think 2024 will be interesting. And, I, you know, I hate that people are just like, trust me and you know the hype and all this kind of stuff i get it it's exhausting and we've been saying it every year since people started doing more podcasts about this so i get it there, there's fatigue real fatigue and for whatever reason we're not good at waiting uh, months or years to you know figure out the answers to you know something that's been happening for all of human history i get it folks we're impatient but i do think there is clear momentum in this area and i see it in my own life. Look, I have had conversations with people in my family that I thought would be like, I thought they would think I was, I had lost it. But the fact that they're willing to talk to me about this stuff, that they're interested in it, that they don't, you know, look over their shoulder before they want to ask me a question about it. That tells me we are entering new territory here. Um, and we're seeing this being talked about on our mainstream media news in, in serious tones. I think that's going to continue happening. I think we're going to see some additional folks come forward because they have been and are emboldened by what has already taken place uh, from the folks of D David Grush, from him kind of paving the way and, and kind of taking the hero's path there. They were going to see other folks come forward. What are we going to learn? I don't really know. And, you know, if you followed our show or any other conversations I've had about disclosure, you'll know I'm kind of, uh, I'm not necessarily pro-disclosure in the government sense. I, I don't, I'm not quite sure we're going to get that, you know, grand statement from the president. We might. Um, and quite frankly, if we do, that is almost more alarming to me than if we don't. Um, because if they're coming forward to explain this stuff in a way that is, you know, halfway coherent, I almost think they that they're going to do it because they have to. And why do they have to? I don't know. We can speculate, but it might not, might not be great. I'm not sure. Um, so I don't know. 2024, it should be really interesting. Uh, I try not to think too much about that, though. I try to think about how I can just be more present, you know, right now. Because I, you know, I just like the rest of us, I get caught up in like the fanfare and the excitement. But I find if I do too much of that, then I lose sight of like what's happening just here now around me with my kids, my family, et cetera. And I want to be present to them because I can't get these moments back. Yeah. You know, after hearing that, your thoughts about time travel, I'm thinking Nathan may have like a Michael J. Fox dartboard at his house, <laughs> or the DeLorean. And I was also thinking to send him you know, a song from like uh, Amazon music, uh, time passages from Al, Al Stewart. So time passages. <laughs> you remember that one, right, Dave? Oh, yes. 
right. <laughs> I love it. By the way, Dave, where were you when you wrote Penny Lane? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was sitting in Strawberry Fields, DJ. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let me, we got about 15 minutes left. So what I want to do is make these quick questions and quick answers um, so that we can get them in here. Yep. Uh, what do we have in the chat? Do we have some questions in the Well, this one chat? never. This one has only been asked to me one time, so I'd be curious okay, to answer right. this one. Um, Please. So... The only person to ever ask me about what my Twitter handle, where that name comes from, is our our dear friend James Einbolly. Uh, so, you know, found that interesting. Um, so, it I'm a total nerd. So, I came up with this one just because I I had two theories that I was really or ideas I was really interested in. And I thought, how do I combine these two acronyms into one anagram? All right, so so my name uh, handle is an anagram of two acronyms, and those acronyms are: Are we living in a simulation? So A W L I A S. No. And <laughs> UFO. All right, so combine UFO with Are we living in a simula simulation? And you can you can create this. Brilliant word. So um, that's where it came from. I'm I'm less. Um, kind of pro simulation hypothesis, other than to say that, like our reality is simulated, like we are simulating it all the time. But I'm not quite so sure that it's um, we're living in a like a computed simulation in the in the classical sense of the hypothesis. I'm, I'm look, I'm willing to open entertain the idea that it's possible. I just don't lean in that particular direction. Um, Nathan, right here, Anon Et. First of all. <clears throat> Hello, Ananiti. Welcome. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us again. The Rendlesham witnesses felt that they what they encountered uh, were us 500,000 years from the future, glowing white beings. So, you know, I think, the you know, when Dave, excuse me, not Dave, when um, Mike starts to put these things together and he talks about declining birth rates, um, uh, which are down, what do you say, 40% worldwide or something, you know, staggering like that, actually. Uh, and he talks about that and how people that have seen the grays describe something that is more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it doesn't have a pronounced, you know, genitalia and all these sorts of things that, that possibly that is why they're taking biological material um, the witness from the, um, the Dave, Dave, uh, Polites movie said that, uh, when he was taken up in a craft and they, they look, took a look at him and said, we, we can't use you. And it's because he had a vasectomy, but anyway, go ahead, Nathan, please. So, yeah, well, okay. So first of all, how do we know how far advanced anything is, right? So, um, whether like, that's, what's so difficult about these encounters because, for all we know, uh, in 10 years, we could be doing a lot of the things that are, are purported to be possible in some of these encounters. Um, we don't know the kind of immense power that we're, we might be unlocking through artificial intelligence. Um, we may, in fact, even encounter another being that basically levels our whole civilization up in ways that we can't even imagine. That may happen incredibly rapidly. So, you know, kind of putting a number on it for me is really challenging because it's just too difficult to, you know, postulate out what 
we would look like in a hundred years, right? I mean, who would have thought from the 1900s or the late 1800s to the the early 2000s, we'd be where we are. I mean, nobody would ever think we'd be where we are now in that short span of a time. So it's very possible that technological change will only be faster and faster. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's certainly like, I like the idea that we would basically like become post-biological. We would be, you know, maybe energy beings um, of some kind. So that you know, is a, is a possibility, but, um, I don't know what I do like to think about though, when we when we're talking about this is like, there's a very human, like there's a kinship to the encounter, right? We're not encountering something that's so strange to us that we're like, well, this isn't human or there's no, nothing I can connect it to. It feels like it's part of us. And that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the bell curve, um, it was 130,000 years to achieve powered flight from <clears throat> early humanity. But then in 66 years, it went from the Wright brothers to um, stepping on the moon. So there's the, the curve is, is trending steeply upward. So we'll see. Um, I mean, there's an interesting what, what one, could come, one thing that isn't considered, certainly not by Michael Masters, is that it could come from the past. Of tech mm. there, but he's a very traditional anthropologist, so he didn't believe there was any earlier sieve, and that's it's just his view, you know. Sure. Uh, I, I'd just like a little comment on time travel, if I may. Please, I, I, I think that clearly, as Nathan said, it really fits the MO, all the things of you know how it behaves and all the rest of it. But I think if you look at either one, say the block universe thing that Michael Masters says that i.e., everything's already happened, well, that's pointless, then, isn't it? Why would you bother? You wouldn't even bother doing it, would you? Because it's already happened. So that's a massive hole in this theory for now. Mm. Uh, for me, uh, and I've heard him try and dance around it, and he's really good at it, and he acknowledges it himself. So, you know, there's no shade on him for that. But I think it's a massive hole in it. And secondly, uh, the multiverse one, apart from the fact I don't, don't, I don't find the multiverse credible, but that's pointless as well, because if you went back and changed it, then you wouldn't be going back to your own timeline, would you? You'd just be creating a different one. So it's fundamentally a pointless activity, time travel, in my view. So there you go. Yeah. Put that in your pipe and smoke. <laughs> there you go, Masters. You're going to sell another book in Manchester. I, I have um, my theory on it, ahead, yes. which actually oh, yeah. kind of relates to something Lou Elizondo was saying about cigars burning on both ends. Well, what if one end of the cigar is something that ends up on this planet and changes the DNA and that DNA leads to a roadmap, which is our future, which leads to like, you know, the master's theory. And that's the other end of the cigar, right? So technically the beginning started the end. So in the way it could still be future humans that came from our past. I, I don't want to throw a wrench in your theory, but I don't think it was burning at both ends. I think he was saying that it's not burning exactly evenly. Somebody correct me on that if I'm wrong. Yeah, the well, the picture I I, I know what you're talking about, Deb. I think it's the it's the cigar and it's like the cherry and the burn and yeah, I don't know that it was but both ends, but I, I definitely like what you're saying is good. I like what you're saying. Yeah, there. and I understand and I what you're saying. Yeah, a point I want to do kind of related to that something that Danny Sheehan said in an interview, and he's been on tons of them, so I apologize. I can't remember where it came from, but when he said this, it just really jumped out at me, and he said something to the effect that the Earth is a uh, 
it was wasn't the word that he used. I'm gonna I'm changing the word, but it was an incubator or it was a uh the earth was a, the birthplace of life, essentially. And if you think about that a little bit more and think about our knowledge of our history and how how old the earth actually is, um, and there's like an hypothesis called the Saurian hypothesis that talks about like an ancient civilization that maybe would have been like reptilian or whatever, and maybe it like it just died off. Will we even have any evidence of it anymore? And the general consensus is that no, we actually wouldn't be able to find any evidence of that because the geological time scale is so large that it just basically be gone. My point there is that you know we hear about all these hominid-looking species. What if they all came from the Earth, right? What if they all came from the Earth, but in different time periods? And not different dimensions, literally like just different time periods. And the Earth mm -hmm. is essentially this, uh, this birthing center for life in the universe. It's so rich with life. It, mm -hmm. it gives rise to conscious life. And it's, we're sort of part of the experiment. Like we're one of those sentiences that have risen to a certain level and just like these other beings have before us. And they've learned lessons along their journey. And, and we're learning lessons along ours. And they're intersecting with us in some ways to either like help us out or, or maybe bump us off the path. I'm not quite sure. But anyway, that stuck with me a lot as a, as a, kind of a profound thought experiment. Nathan, do, do you think that that sort of exclusivity infers that there isn't a similar planet elsewhere in the universe teeming with life um, as grand um, as, the, as Earth? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I, I don't want to be the only sort of, you know, lushly populated world. I mean, there's life literally almost in every square inch of our planet, right? So I, I hope that we're not the only one that's doing that. But I also kind of think that there could be life at all kinds of places that we just don't know what it looks like. Um, we only have our one sample size here. So every time we're looking for life, we're looking for life like it is here. And we could be completely wrong. What if life like it is here is actually like the super rare kind of life? And most life is like totally different and we're just we literally can't see that if it would be right in front of our face so that that's a possibility and if that's true there could be life literally in our own solar system we just we literally don't know how to find it i can't get i mean andor looked i was gonna say andor looked pretty nice and the cute little ewoks and beautiful so you know. <laughs> that'd be great but i was gonna say that i can't get over the fact that if we're going with the big bang theory everything was together in the beginning so basically we have cousins all over the universe mm -hmm. and everything actually was pretty close to each other at the beginning when it slowly started moving apart like it continues to do. So that some of those cousins were like ones we could visit, <laughs> you know, so I'm just saying <laughs> like everything, yep. was, all the building blocks are all over the universe. The same Legos are all over the universe. <laughs> Yeah, just careful where you step, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> those Legos. Is there right? another Deb? <laughs> uh, probably. Just gotta okay. yeah, But I mean, no, no one like our Deb, but similar. No, not like ours, but yeah. similar. Um. All right, so, folks, you are listening to Calling All Beings. That is Nathan on the screen. I am DJ David Smethers, joining us from Manchester. Debs, Julie is in the chat. Please, um. 
make a comment on our YouTube or something or a like or a subscribe or something. If you would, we are on all a whole bunch of podcast platforms. Um, I think we're going to start a Facebook whereby we're going to have a chat and some of these cabbies like myself uh, and others without naming who they might be <laughs> may pop up in that chat. So that's something we're considering because uh, I noticed uh, I, I saw some good chats today from other shows that I like, both motorcycle related and uh, a, a Bigfoot show that I really like. Brian uh, King Sharp had a nice chat going um, there today. So maybe we're going to do that. So um, uh, parting shots for Nathan, uh, starting with David Smethurst. Well, I mean, what I would say, Nathan, I've never heard you say a defensive word in my experience of watching you, which is, in my experience, a man who's in both command of his brief and in his uh, responses. So that's one of the highest compliments I can give you, really. Fantastic. Really good. Excellent. I love listening to what you say on these things. And that was great. And kudos for answering all those questions that I asked, because I thought I wasn't doing it on purpose, but they were quite tough. Were tough to think of, so I thought you did a great job. But your lack of defensiveness is most impressive. Thanks, Dave. I, I want to quickly say something before we finish because, Dave, you brought this up in your early comment. But I do think that reality is an interplay between things that are concrete and things which are unseen, imaginary, evolving things that we know and things that we, that at which we hope for there's this dance between those two realities that create reality itself and that gets to your point about consciousness mm -hmm. and objective reality i think that these are two almost like poles that that are required for the entire thing to work um so let's let's go around the horn real quick and then julie jump in on this in the chat as well do you think, and so we'll start with Nathan, go Dave, uh, Debs, and then Dave. There are some of these cryptids, you know, we could say Dogman or other, some other cryptids that are out there. Do you think that people are manifesting these creatures into their reality, which may be apart from something like Bigfoot, where there's a very, very significant amount of evidence of the um, daytime, nighttime kids, females, not the least of which is Patty, etc. Whereas dogmen seem to appear, but you don't seem to see them with their young and so forth. So, Nathan, are some of these cryptids manifestations? I mean, I think it's possible. I, I think that the human like capability to manifest things is pretty powerful. Um, I have no idea. So I'm going to leave a big question mark on that one. Uh, it's a frightening thought, though, that, that that would be the case. Debs, do you think that some people are manifesting uh, some of these cryptids, or do you think they just are just you know walking into their existence, just like they just happen upon them? 
I'm going to say no, they are not manifesting them. What they may be manifesting is their ability to see them. And my my strongest point of why I say no is because Ooh. I have not one time managed to manifest a unicorn. And I assure you, I would have gotten one by now if we had that ability. Because I, I put a lot of time and energy in that as a child, like wanting one to show up. And you don't hear about unicorn sightings. Like, that's not a thing. Even though, like, you know, Jacques Filet told us about how unicorns did exist to help with farming or something back in the day. Um, I just don't think that's the case. I think it's more likely that some, a veil is being removed or perception is being opened up. Um, no unicorns. So, no. Uh, there's our friend uh, Tim from All Things Unexplained is in the chat. How are you? Tim, no, I have not hiked Everest. Uh, are you suggesting that we do that? Because we better start training now for about 24 months from now. Dave, um, do you think that, uh, and by the way, uh, Deb, I think Dave may have one in the stables, the unicorn that you seek. Do you <laughs> believe that um, these cryptids are being manifest, uh, Dave, or do you think that they're just walking into, uh, you know, just happen people are happening upon them? No, I, I, at the risk, I don't want to be glib here because I don't know. Yeah, just to say. Okay. I think what they are is I think the the projections, with the exception of Bigfoot, because you convinced me, I talked to you about that. Uh, I think the projections of uh, a, a bit like the screen memories people get of abductions, you see owls and all the rest of it. I think these are projections. I think they're linked to the, potentially linked to crypto terrestrials using whatever psychic stuff they got and they project these creatures. To, to these guys who's actually there. And that's why I think the majority of them are, because a good case of that, the uh, skinwalkers at the Pentagon, you know, with those dogmen smoking fags, cigarettes and all the rest of it. Uh, and I, so that's why I think they projected, but I wouldn't dismiss the ability to them. They manifest by all the other things we've heard about. And I know with Bigfoot, there's a lot, a lot of physical evidence of long-term habitation, which you yeah. told me about, DJ. So I wouldn't want to say it's a cover all but that's what my view of them is i think that, i also think in there the more likely you see those creatures the more near you are to a potential underground habitation uh, of whatever it is no thank you dave there is that one story um i don't know which one of the folks at skinwalker tells about this but it, it was a big wolf-like creature that went and grabbed uh, reached through the fence and grabbed yeah, yeah. one of these calves and they shot at it um, yeah. several times. And it was only after I think the second volley that they got it to, to let loose. It didn't move or win. So when you see something like that, that's doesn't not a manifestation. So I just, I'm just asking the question. I'm not making an assertion, no. but great answer. Um, let's get Julie in there. Julie, I think some do manifest them. I like the Philip experiment but unintended like the Philip experiment, but unintended. Mm -hmm. I think some are likely poltergeist, which is what Dave is talking about outside and others are being, others are beings that can manipulate our gross matter consciousness. Wow. Julie library science over here. Jeez. Um, I, I didn't read that as well as you wrote it. Um, uh, so the Philip experiment, I'm unfamiliar with that. We'll have to hear about that, but unintended. 
That's the one in Canada in 73 where he manifested it. I think it's debatable false story and manifested this right. guy, I think. That's right. Okay. Um, thank you, Jules, for another uh, great take on this. Jules got a lot of experience with a lot of stuff. All right. That's all for tonight, folks. Um, thank you, Dave Smethers. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter if they want to engage uh, with you in conversation? Dave Smethers 66. They can hear me, obviously, on uh, with Frank on UFO Thinker. Just give us a shout. Yeah, and thanks for having me on, guys. I've really, really enjoyed it. So it's great. It's our pleasure to have you on, Dave. Yeah, UFO Thinker, part of our cab network, uh, Frank has a great show. He and Dave, you want to get down into the legislation, condemnation, all <laughs> <laughs> isolation, <laughs> indignation. It is all up on that show. So come and check out uh, Frank. He has a monthly round table as well with Dave. And who are the other brothers? What's the name of their show? They do a oh, great. It's been slimmed down a bit. It's Ash. Uh, Greg's taking a bit of a sabbatical, but it's Ash and Greg from the Paranormal Podcast normally. So yes. we're on with Ash. Yeah, and we and have it... a couple of guest stars. We're going to get Davy Johnson on shortly. And Ash. Can I get an amen? Uh, awesome. I haven't told Davy that yet, but I will be. Amen. <laughs> 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 your, your hey, hey, up. Hey, up, DJ. Dave wants us on. Come on, Ash. We get back on. <laughs> and uh, I Talk think it was Ash. You, <laughs> you folks. I know that's out there. A Davy. But yeah, they um Ash just had a, a big uh nice big pub event in the UK to get people together to talk about the phenomenon. I encourage everybody to do that and get your grassroots movement going in the UK, going and plan you a, a pub meetup like that. He's showing um Great leadership, in my opinion. So cheers to him. Nathan, any uh, final words from you and uh, Debs before we go? Uh, look, I'm just, I've had a great time. Really glad to speak with you guys. D Dave, great to have you with us. Always excellent questions and thoughts. Uh, this was fun. And I look forward to all the cool stuff we're going to do next year. We've been talking a lot about programming and how we're going to take the show in some, some different directions. So eager to get that going thank you to everybody that's showing up for the chat and posting questions both in the chat and in social media i really appreciate that we're trying to grow that conversation in the chat group and uh you guys are the best base of folks to grow it on top of so thanks for being with us thank you julie yes debs um a few things i wanted to say of course thank you nathan for sitting in the fiery throne today i appreciated that i also wanted to say um that this community is amazing because we ask the questions and you know i love the people that can ask those questions and go off of, of each other without conflict like it's totally cool that we had different ideas and views and that's what cab's all about um but I love this community's ability to ask the questions that the rest of society doesn't bother to ask or to think about those things like, you know, time travel and other dimensions and manifesting entities, not unicorns, but, you know, so on and so forth. You know, it's just amazing. So I really appreciate that you're one of the thought leaders on this, Nathan. And, you know, this this show is a thought leader on that. So thank you for all of you for coming and talking and Nathan for the fiery throne. <laughs> I survived. Yeah. And like, uh, so yeah, the, the, the people have asked for, 
for Ask Deb. So we're happy to do an Ask Deb, and uh, we can get all the Deb fans come out there and get her take on everything. So that could be our our next one of these. Uh, Like Julie says, um, share, share, share. We're trying to grow the show, so just share it with a couple of friends of yours. Uh, We don't have a Patreon or anything like that, but uh, any any of those sort of metrics of commenting on the episodes, liking, subscribing, uh, and sharing uh, with your friends that you think might enjoy this. Uh, We really appreciate it. So on behalf of our British brother, Dave Smethers, for Debs, and for my co-creator, brother Money Nathan, this is DJ saying peace out, one love. We'll see you down the road. We're always wondering what's up around the bend.